0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am so excited to once again be joined by Mr. Thor Nystrom from Roto World. Thor, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast.
1: Pleasure to be here, Paul. Pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely. I know this is becoming a little bit of a routine every year, an annual tradition have you come on the show and do these team-by-team recaps for the NFC. I look forward to this every year. And just like previous years, I'm really excited to talk for Rudy's draft classes with you. It was an interesting draft. lot of teams in the nfc did some unique things and i'm excited to talk through it so let's get right into it i'm going to start it off with the nfc east we'll go alphabetical inside of there so i'm going to kick it off with the dallas cowboys first round pick 17 cd lamb wide receiver at oklahoma round two trayvon diggs cornerback out of alabama round three neville gallimore defensive tackle out of oklahoma Round four, Reggie Robinson, cornerback out of Tulsa. Also in round four, they traded up Tyler Bidiaz, center out of Wisconsin. Round five, Bradley Anay, edge out of Utah. And then round seven, they rounded it out with Ben Denucci, quarterback out of James Madison, I think Dallas arguably had one of the best drafts in the entire class uh top to bottom. My favorite pick them not overthinking it and taking the value that CD Land presented there at 17. It's an offensive, you know, points type of league now. They didn't have a third wide receiver you know, Amari Cooper, they can get out of his contract after two years. CD Lamb was too good to pass up there. So that's my favorite pick. It could also, you know, been my top value pick, but I also think Trayvon Diggs in the second round, there was a lot of talk that he could go in the, you know, late part of round one or early part of round two. They obviously need a quarterback, uh, upgrades after they lost Byron Jones in free agency. I think you can make the case Bradley and I was great value in round five. I wasn't super high on him, but I thought he was a late third, early fourth round pick. So where they got him, there was a steal up and down. I could for value picks. I almost could have went anybody in the entire draft class, you know, besides their seventh round pick and said it was a good value pick. You know, if I want to question one thing, I don't even really like question in a seventh round pick. But you know, the Ben DiNucci pick—he's got some traits that I think are intriguing. Maybe they could have went, you know, a different quarterback there. But that's really nitpicking. And the only other thing I'll say, you know, in terms of questionable, is I like Reggie Robinson, the player. I do think, I do wonder though, if maybe some other edge help could have been better utilized there. Obviously they're, they're counting on like Alden Smith and Randy Gregory, guys like that, that are complete question marks. So maybe a Curtis Weaver there, you know, with Bradley and I and see if any of those really productive collegiate players translated might've been something I thought about, but top to bottom, I loved what Dallas did. Like I said, one of my favorite draft classes, I think they did an outstanding job. Door, any any quick thoughts on Dallas and, and, and what what they did
1: I, I I don't really have anything to add um, <laughs> you, you you took the words right out of my mouth my friend that that's that's basically exactly what I would have said and j- just to your point about uh, Danucci the, the only slight nitpick I'd have is you know I maybe would have taken a guy like Anthony Gordon there at the end but but basically I, I think that Dallas hit a grand slam outside of that value at every spot. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I do sometimes wonder when teams get the seventh round picks, if they're almost drafting guys that would be like high priorities for them in terms of UDFAs so they can get them on the practice squad. And if it's a little bit more of a well-known name that they think that they might not be able to, who fell in the draft, like an Anthony Gordon or somebody like that. If they get worried that those guys maybe you know, maybe a team didn't have a lot of draft picks or whatever late in the day that they get worried that that team may like come in and, and try to steal that guy but a guy like Ben Denucci nobody's probably going to put him on their active roster you know and use, utilize one of those valuable spots you know first thing you know in this season so it's one of those opportunities that I think teams sometimes make some outside the box thinking picks because they know that they can get those guys on their practice squad and that'll that'll be a theme as we talk about some seventh round guys tonight Let's take this to the New York football giants in the first round at, at pick four. They selected Andrew Thomas to tackle out of Georgia. Round two, they take Xavier McKinney, safety out of Alabama. Round three, Matt Purp, tackle out of Connecticut. Round four, Darnay Holmes, cornerback out of UCLA. Round five, Shane Lemieux, guard out of Oregon. Round six, Cameron Brown, the linebacker out of Penn State. They had four picks in round seven. They selected Carter Coughlin, the edge slash linebacker out of Minnesota. TJ Brunson, linebacker out of South Carolina. Chris Williamson, cornerback out of Minnesota. And Tay Crowder, linebacker out of Georgia. I would say, as a whole, I don't think they did a solid job. It wasn't a sexy draft. It wasn't anything that's going to, you know, you draw a lot of attention. But it was a meat and potatoes type of draft. But I think they kind of needed one of those drafts. My favorite pick was Xavier McKinney. I did have a first round grade on him. I thought he could easily went in that 20 to 32 range. So for the Giants to get him there, I thought that was, you know, my favorite pick there. You could also say it was, it was very good value as well. I think McKinney is more of a player. You know, I've heard people say, you know, He's another Landon Collins. I think he's more like a Malcolm Jenkins in terms of his versatility. So I think they're going to really count on that to add versatility and leadership in that secondary if I don't want to use him over again in terms of my value pick, I'm going to say Darnay Holmes. I think he immediately could push to be their starting nickel corner. He produced very well at the senior bowl in that, which was the first time he really was playing inside in the nickel, but he's a, he's an intelligent kid. I think he's very athletic. You know, he could be a returner as well. So I like the Darnay Holmes pick, especially since he could be a starter as that nickel corner this year. If I'm gonna question anything, I like Shane Lemieux to player. I do. But I do wonder if maybe they could have looked at center there. I, I like Nick Harris a little bit. I thought he would have presented good value there at a position more of need. So it's not that I didn't really like Lemieux, but I thought maybe there you know, look at the center position, which is a little bit lacking on their depth chart. And then also, you know, no wide receivers in a pretty deep wide receiver class. They had, you know, they caught a couple UDFA guys out of Ohio state that we'll see about them. But I did think that in a deep class, I would have liked to maybe see them try to strike gold again. Like they kind of found Darius Slayton last year on, on day three to try to take a stab maybe somewhere, whether it was round five, six, or one of those four round seven picks on a wide receiver. I will say no to this. I'm not going to talk about, you know, many UDFA, but Javon League was my one of my favorite UDFA prospects. I think I don't think the combine matched up with the film. I think he's a pretty explosive player, and I think after Saquon Barkley, that depth chart is pretty wide open at the running back position. So he's an intriguing name uh, from their UDFA that kind of uh, you know gets me a little bit excited. Thor, any thoughts on the Giants and what they did in this draft?
1: I was a big fan of the Giants' draft. I I gave them an A minus, just like I gave the Cowboys an A minus. Um, my favorite value pick, um, there was two that I really liked. The third round pick, Matt Pert, out of UConn and tackle. I'm a big fan of his game. And by the way, Jim Nagy, the the senior bolt director, is a huge fan of his too. He comped him to de- to de- a shot Ferguson, um, which is obviously a very lofty comp. But, um, Pert's a guy who was awesome in pass pro last year. His game really jumped up a level. Um, he's a kid who has great movement skills and he tested well. Um, so he's a guy that I ranked 69th overall in the class. He went 99th, he you know fell a little bit. I think he was a really good value. The other guy was a seventh rounder and a local kid for me coming to you guys from Minneapolis, Carter Coughlin. Um, he was a guy who put up huge numbers for the Gophers and was a high recruit who came here for, uh, a local kid, four star recruit. Um, he fell and he he tested awesome too in Indy. The reason that he fell was because he played out of position in college. He played on the edge and he was an undersized edge because he had to. You know, the, the Gophers don't get as many, you know, high profile, you know, kind of guys and, and athletes on defense as some of these other teams or whatever, but he's more of an off ball type. That's just what his build is. That's what he's going to have to play in the NFL. They just didn't have tape on him. The NFL doesn't. So he's going to have to make this transition back. It, that's a leap of faith. And so, you know, he was going to fall. We we knew he was going to fall. Um, but I, I just like taking that, you know, that stab on a kid like that. I, I thought he should have gone well before 218. I mean, just you have the production. You have the athletic profile. So, I mean, at 6'3", 236, a guy that tested in the 85th percentile, with with the production in the Big Ten that he had, um, I ranked him as a hundred forty third player in the class. So I like that value a lot.
0: Yeah, I love that you brought up those two guys because I think per I think the third round is the perfect time, anywhere from early third round to the end of the round to take those developmental tackles. And where do you get a guy that has as much starting experience? Test out as that athlete. I feel like in a different draft class where there wasn't so many skill players that got pushed into the top of the draft and a very strong tackle group to begin with, as we saw at the top. I don't. I think in most years, Pert would have probably someone would have you know taken a chance on him in round two. Like I mean, look where the guy like Titus Howard went, you know, in previous drafts based on you know. Know, projection and upside so i think that could be their future right tackle and hopefully you know thomas their future left tackle you know they might have had their bookends for you know for the next decade hopefully i think is what giants fans and i love that you brought up you know, Carter Coughlin there as well. I I always felt going into the draft that either the Patriots or somebody of the Patriots disciples would take a guy like Carter Coughlin and see that versatility and understand that he is more of an off the ball linebacker, but then you could do some different things with him that they saw, you know, that they asked him to do at Minnesota in certain packages. So I think that, you know, also was, was a good value. So I'm glad you brought that up. So let's take this to the Eagles. In round one, they take Jalen Rager, wide receiver at a TCU. Round two, very surprising to many, they take Jalen Hurts, quarterback out of Oklahoma. In round three, they take Davion Taylor, linebacker out of Colorado. Round four, Kayvon Wallace, safety out of Clemson. Also in round four, Jack Driscoll, tackle out of Auburn. Round five, John Hightower, wide receiver out of Boise State. Round six, Sean Bradley, linebacker out of Temple. Also in round six, Quez Watkins, wide receiver out of Southern Methodist. And then Southern Mississippi, round six, uh, Prince Tago Wanoga, tackle out of Auburn. And then in round seven, to round it out, Casey Twohill, edge out of Stanford. In terms of Eagles, I know there was some people that, you know, Questioned a lot of things that they did. I have a couple things that I questioned, but I don't think it was as bad as, you know, some people thought. I thought they added a lot of speed to their team, which was something that was obviously missing. They almost overcorrected there with a lot of speed, you know, receivers. My favorite pick w- was Jalen Rager, and I know that, you know, generates some, you know, Disagreement on, on ends. I like Jalen Rager to play. I know some people were down on him. You know, maybe someone might question that pick and say, What about Justin Jefferson? I think Jalen Rager fits better for what the Eagles want. I know Justin Jefferson ran best at the combine. But I think on playing field, Jalen Rager adds a component and dynamic to that team that makes sense there. So for some, it might've been a little reach. It was my favorite pick. I also really liked the Kayvon Wallace pick. He went where I thought he should have went in, but I love his versatility. I think he's going to be quickly emerging to a starter there. In terms of value picks, taking Prince Tega in, in round six, this is a guy I thought could have been a late third, early fourth round pick. Obviously he fell for some injury issues, but I mean, to get him down there, he could develop into a future starting tackle if the medicals check out. So I thought that was great value. In terms of questionable picks, I like Jalen Hurts the player a lot. I was going to be excited if a team took Jalen Hurts in round two and and decide that he was going to be their future starter. I do question it a little bit for a team with the Eagles. I know Carson Wentz has struggled to stay healthy. I know they put a, a, a premium on having a good backup, and you know, and I'm sure they're going to use Jalen Hurts in some other ways as well. But I do I do have to question it a little bit, as much as I do like the player there. Uh, and maybe as many wide receivers, maybe they could have diversified a little bit. I felt like it's going to be hard for all these wide receivers to make the roster. They have JJ white whiteside from last year. You know they traded for Marquise Goodwin during the draft, so you know. Are, how many of these guys are are, are actually going to make the roster. So maybe they could have spread it out a little bit and, and not went so much at the wide receiver position. But but in reality, I like a lot of the players at the wide receiver position that they took and Watkins and Hightower and Rager, obviously he's going to be on the roster, but it'd be interesting to see, you know, Hightower and Quez Watkins, how, you know, where they fit in on this deep depth chart now at wide receiver. Thor, any thoughts on what the Eagles did?
1: Yeah, I promise you guys I'm gonna to start to rip a bunch of draft classes here in a bit, but I <laughs> I, I liked what the Eagles did as well. Um we're gonna to get to the ripping in a bit, but uh Kayvon Wallace was was my favorite pick. I love Kayvon Wallace. I, I didn't understand why people weren't higher on him. I, I think maybe it was just because I Simmons kinda of blotted him out, but he, he was he, he can do so many things. You know, he, he can line up, you know, free safety, strong safety, lined up at slot corner. Um, He's a reliable tackler, Uh, 153 of 171 tackle attempts he converted in in his career. Last year, um, as a cover guy, mostly in the slot, held opponents to a 63.9 opposer-passer rating, Um, and he graded out highly in coverage in PFFs, uh, uh, their coverage metrics, each of the past three years. 96th percentile spark athleticism, three-time ACC honor roll, I mean, like, everything that you look for, he had a 4.53 speed. Um, it, it just seemed like he got slept on throughout the process. Like, on film, everything was there. His athletic profile was there. He's a versatile player. Venables was able to do all sorts of things with him. I, I just really liked the player. And like I said, I, I, I think it was just because Isaiah Simmons, you had this this defensive prospect like we'd never seen before. And so, you know, just be, it, it was sort of like um, – you know, like with Marlon Davidson playing next to Derrick Brown, it was like Marlon Davidson never completely got his due. And I, I felt the same kind of way about Kayvon. Uh, th- me, me and my colleague, Derrick Klotsen, we, we, we went to the Combine, and we talked about that a lot, about Kayvon just not getting his due. He's just not getting his due, and he's going to get underdrafted. And, um, he, Kayvon actually went a little bit higher than I thought, but I still feel that he got underdrafted. And so, you know, kudos to the Eagles for grabbing him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wallace is a guy that, like you said, I think he went around where I expected, but I think his talent level is is greater than that. And you make a great point that he almost got lost in the shuffle a little bit with the versatility of Isaiah Simmons, but Kayvon has plenty of versatility himself. Let's finish out the NFC East with the Washington Redskins in the first round. Pick two overall, they took Chase Young out of Ohio State. In round three, they selected Antonio Gibson. Sounds more like running back, but probably offensive weapon more out of Memphis. In round four, they took Sadiq Charles' tackle out of LSU. Also in round four, they took Antonio Gandy-Golden, wide receiver out of Liberty. In round five, they took Keith Ishmael, the center out of San Diego State. Also, in round five, they took Kaliki Hudson, linebacker out of Michigan. And in round seven, they had two picks, Cameron Curl, safety out of Arkansas, and James Smith Williams, edge out of North Carolina State. Favorite pick, I'm just going to stay, you know, kind of chalk here. And, and because I didn't love overall what the Redskins really did, but Chase Young, they didn't get cute. They didn't try to trade down. If they weren't going to go the quarterback route and they were going to continue to try to see if Dwayne Haskinson can develop. I understand that, you know, Chase Young is the pick there. So that was my favorite pick. In terms of value, I I struggle to find some value here. I think maybe you can look at the offensive linemen, Sadiq Charles and and Keith Ishmael in the fourth and fifth round. Maybe, you know, they could have went a little bit earlier. Maybe Sadiq Charles, due to his, you know, actual raw talent could have went in the third round, but there was some, you know, off the field stuff that seemed to push him down a little bit. And maybe Ishmael could have went somewhere in round four, you know, as potentially, you know, a guy who couldn't push for a starting center job down the line. But I mean, those were marginal value, you know, uh, in that, in terms of what I questioned, I don't click E Hudson went a little bit earlier than I expected, but I like Antonio Gibson, the player. I just don't think, the Redskins are the team early in the third round to invest in that offensive weapon. I feel like that's a that's a pick, a luxury pick where when you're close to competing and you want that dynamic weapon, they don't really have much besides Terry McLaurin as true wide receivers. I thought there was other ways they could have went with that early third round pick. As much as I like Antonio Gibson and think that he is a unique offensive weapon, I just think it was a little too rich for this team where they are right now on their depth chart. Thor, any thoughts on what the Skins did?
1: Yeah, and I, I don't disagree about the Gibson. that I like Gibson as a prospect, but I had him, him one hundred seven overall. It for for Washington that, that- was kind of a strange pick in that slot at 66 the uh for me the the best value that they had i really like the antonio gandy golden pick i had him as a 73rd overall prospect i'm a big fan of his game I, I think there's a lot of projectable um you know aspects to to his eval um he was a kid who used to be a gymnast um he, he tested in the 57th percentile six four, two twenty three. i comped him to michael floyd um you know he's a kid who goes up and gets it and at liberty they just basically toss him a bunch bunch of jump balls that was their offense you know I was just like jump ball jump ball jump ball but I, th- I think he goes to Washington um you know you, you, you got to teach him more stuff of course he, he's he's a ball of clay it's very raw but you know you get him in there um I, I I think you know because of the the athletic tools he you have the ability to do that um so I I, I think that there's something to work with there um and Washington they showed in last year's class that they that they identify receivers, you know, and they they pluck some guys later on that obviously started out pretty quickly. Um, they've shown the ability to identify guys later on that can come in and contribute. I I, I think they might have might have found another one here.
0: Yeah. Gandy Golden is 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 a guy that I felt like, you know, had a little bit of buzz in the draft Twitter, fancy Twitter community. Some people were really high on him. Other people, you know, were a little bit lukewarm on him, but I think he goes through a situation where he's going to get an opportunity. Like, you know, I like Calvin Harmon last year. He was a late round pick of that played a little bit, but that wide receiver depth chart is wide open for the taking a lot of targets to go around. So, you know, we'll see if, if some of these, uh Dave Parry guys Harmon last year again, uh, the golden this year. Uh If any of them could emerge there to kind of be another running mate with Terry McLaurin there for that team. So guys, there it is. NFC East in the books, Thor, take it to uh the North, South, wherever you want to go with it.
1: I guess we'll start with the, uh the South. We'll, we'll go with the Falcons. They, they look to be up first. So um the Falcons started with uh AJ Terrell, the cornerback out of Clemson in the first round. In the second round, they went with, uh, Mar- the aforementioned Marlon Davidson, the interior lineman from Auburn. Uh, third round, they went with the Temple Center, Matt Hennessy. Fourth round, uh, Fresno State linebacker, Mike Walker. Fourth round, Jalen Hawkins, the safety from Cal. And in the seventh round, Sterling Hoffrichter, the punter from... I don't have the schools in front of me. I'm doing this from memory. So I I, I don't know where Sterling Hoffrichter Syracuse. went. <laughs> from Syracuse. Okay, he, he punted in the dome. Um, my... So o- overall, with the class, I I gave it a D. I, I wasn't I wasn't the biggest oh I, w- I wasn't the biggest fan of it. My my f- favorite pick was it's it's th- this one's kind of tough for me. I I would say Marlon Davidson. Um, I I had that was right around where I had him, um, in, in terms of value. Um, but I I didn't think that that was I, I mean that was i mean basically apples to apples in terms of where i had them value wise um so i i didn't really think that they got great value but okay value on that one um but i i i, I didn't love this class at all i'm sort of struggling to, to say anything nice about it um the, the hennessy pick i thought was okay um i i thought that that was an okay one i i thought hennessy might go a little bit higher you know i, I an athletic interior lineman in an interior class that fell off really quickly. You know, after Caesar Ruiz, it, it sort of dropped off a shelf there. You know, Hunt went a little bit earlier and then the talent really, you know, fell off. Or then, you know, it was sort of like guys who were athletically limited or guys who had um, medical concerns or whatever. I thought Hennessy might go a little bit uh, sooner than he did. But outside of that, I mean, the Falcons sort of reached on AJ Terrell early and then it seemed like... You know, the, the reaches sort of kept coming. Um, I, I thought the Falcons would have done well to in the first round. Why aren't you trying to trade back when CeeDee Lamb has fallen? Uh, you know, for instance, the the Vikings sitting at 20. This is just one example. But the Vikings sitting at 20, you know they're sitting dead red on a receiver. Um, assuredly, and they have a bunch of picks. The, the Vikings ended up making 12 picks. Assuredly, the Vikings are interested in, in trading up for CeeDee Lamb. A.J. Terrell is not going to get picked by one of the three teams in the interim. Why don't you call the Vikings and say, hey, would you offer us your second round pick and a couple of those day three picks? We'll move back into the 20 slot. You can come up and have CD lamb, you know, and then we'll move back and then we get A.J. Terrell anyway. Um, You know, they could have done some stuff like that and added some picks. So as far as the questionable picks, Again, staying in that slot to take Terrell, I, I kind of knew that they were going to take Terrell because Dane Brugler put out a report like a week before the draft that we should expect agent Terrell to go higher than, than we think. And his floor was, he thought the top 16. And so I said, Oh, that's pretty interesting. Who's sitting in the 16 slot, the Falcons. So again, you know, it, you know, scratch your head on that one. And then the, the day three picks, I, even though I kind of liked Michael Walker's tape, I. my, That was probably my favorite of those. The other ones were just, I just thought were airball picks. So, you know, again, I I I was really low
0: on this class. What was your take, Paul? Yeah, I mean, listen, my favorite pick was the Matt Hennessy pick because I, you know, I know the Giants, a team I follow very closely, were very interested in him, and there was some even buzz that you know, they were thinking about taking him to the top of the second, you know, to fill a big need or try to trade back. And, you know, maybe, maybe that would have been in the play if Xavier McKinney, who they had a really high grade on, wasn't there. There was some talk that they were thinking about moving back into the second, moving back in the second round. I could could have seen Hennessy go in round two, to a team like the Giants. So I think that, you know, they're a little forward thinking about him taking over as their starting center in a year. Maybe this year he plays a little bit of guard. So I like that pick a lot. I think the Marlon Davidson, you said it, it, it was about where he should come off the board. Uh, I think he got lost in the shuffle, but I do think he's a pretty good player, but we are projecting a little bit. He played edge at Auburn. He's, that's not going to be where he plays, you know, based on now, you know, what his frame and his weight is. So I think it's an okay pick. I would have, you, you hit the head on, I don't don't think they got a lot of value for the Terrell pick and it could have been that they desperately needed a corner. You know, but maybe maybe the value just of C.D. Lamb was too great, and they should have just stayed there and taken him. You know, if he, if he was high on their board, or like you said, trade back, get something from Minnesota, even if they got a three and a six, or you know, two fours or a two fours and a five. You know, is it is it was there that great of a difference between A.J. Terrell and Trayvon Diggs and Jalen Johnson, Jeff Gladney, to not want to accumulate more of those picks, and then their day three picks always leave me scratching their head. They always seem that they're very, you know, almost like Patriots or Seahawks-esque in terms of being very off the reservation, not really expected of what we, in terms of value, seems to be the norm for every year. So I was right there with you. You know, I understand, I I think Terrell's a solid player and fills a need and their scheme and and what they want from their cornerbacks. But I do think that, you know, they didn't get a lot of value for that. Uh, I think Hennessy and Davidson were fine and I wasn't a fan of Dave Bury at all.
1: The next team up is the Carolina Panthers. Um, Matt Rule's first draft taken over, um, and they went all defense with it. The first pick, um, the interior lineman from Auburn, uh, Davidson's buddy, Derek Brown at seven. Um, Next round, they took the edge rusher from Penn State, Yatur Gross Matos. Um, Later on that round, they took the safety from Southern Illinois, Jeremy Chin. In the fourth round, Notre Dame uh, cornerback, Troy Pryde Jr. Fifth round, West Virginia safety Kenny Robinson, well in the XFL uh, <laughs> via the XFL Kenny Robinson Jr in the 6th round uh Matt Rule brought in his his buddy from Baylor uh the the big nose tackle Bravion Roy and then in the 7th round they took the Florida International cornerback Stanley Thomas Oliver the 3rd very uh regal um so my favorite pick of this one of, of this class was probably uh, Jeremy Chin. Um, Jeremy Chin. I I like Jeremy Chin more than than Kyle Duggar, for instance. Um, you know, he's he's just as athletic, and I think his tape is better. And he's not jumping up as you know as high a, a level of competition. Um, you know, six three, two twenty one, ninety ninth 99th percentile athlete, you're going to be able to do a a whole heck of a lot with Jeremy chin. Um, and I think he's going to be able to probably contribute right away. I I think Matt rule is going to be able to do some fun stuff with him. Um, you know, Matt rules, his system is very, uh, DB friendly. Uh, He's a a coach that employs them very well. So, um, I, I I think that that is a very good fit there. I, I like that one. Um. Best values, um, I, I thought Gross Matos was a nice value at, at 38. Um, I, I was surprised that he got down there. Um, he's a projectable guy who also works really hard um, and plays really hard. Um, you know, there's there's some technical things to work out there, but, um, you, you know, as far as getting a projectable guy there that, that you know is going to give you his all, I, I, I thought that that was a really nice value. So I, I liked that one. And then um, another one that I liked was was getting Kenny Robinson down at 152. Um, he has a lot of aspects of his game to like. Um, he's a ball hawk. He also um, lays the lumber, you know, guys coming across the middle and everything like that. He's a bit of a freelancer. Um, you know, I, 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 I sort of think of him as like uh, – you know, I, I, sort of made this joke of like the Barney Stinson crazy hot scale where like Kenny Robinson is sort of just constantly jumping across the crazy hot scale. Cause he's like, he's just, he kind of plays me ball. You know, he, he, he just kind of plays crazy, you know, like he, he, he's just a freelancer. He does his own kind of thing. And sometimes he like leaves his, his zone, you know, or like he just goes head hunting or he's just trying to get on the sports center top 10, but he's like, he's a super talented dude. And again, again, I feel like for Kenny Robinson, this is probably one of the best landing spots that he could have had going with a coach like Matt rule. Um, so I, I think that this is a spot where he could play up. So I, I, I like that value. I like that landing spot for him. Um, as far as questionable picks for me, um, a lot of people might disagree with me. I didn't like the Derek Brown pick. Um, it's, it's not that I think he's a bad player. Um, I ranked him 12th overall in the class but it, it's just for me at at 7 um I, you know there are a couple limitations to Brown's game he he's not the most athletic dude um there there's going to be some pass rushing limitations there um and the other thing is you had a defensive prospect that really doesn't have a ceiling that was on the board at the time and Isaiah Simmons and I just think at that point you take Isaiah Simmons and especially Hindsight being 2020, 20. and I don't know if Matt Rule and those guys, you know, if they could do it over again, if they would have swapped that pick out. But in the sixth round, they got brave on Roy, you know, for to play the middle. And you know, I I think you know, and and also, even though they they took all defensive players, they did not take a linebacker, even though linebacker was a need. And so I don't know if they could do it differently if they would have swapped those two picks out. But I I thought that 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 was one. That you you could argue was questionable. I I thought this was a solid draft. It was it was sort of a workman like draft. I gave it a B. I liked it. I, I didn't love it. You know, I, I just thought it was a Matt Rule. I, it just reminded me of like his Baylor classes. You know, it's just like a
0: lunch pail kind of a thing. So yeah, well, I, I think I think I think you're spot on with their grade. I think that B is about what I would probably look at it and think. And and I think it, that B can fluctuate in direction to an A or C, and it'll be exclusively based on Derek Brown. If he's Michael Brocker's Akeem Hicks, it probably stays as a B or goes a little bit down. If they envision that he can develop into that pass rushing force, even if he's not collecting big sack numbers, but generating that pressure consistently, you know, and he's in and or he does develop and actually get the sack numbers and he's Fletcher Cox or whatever, somebody like of that ilk, then it becomes an A draft. You know, I think that's it. I would have been with you. I think you can find Derek Brown's in, in, in future draft classes. I don't think you can find Isaiah Simmons. I think I think he's a you know a very generational type freak of athlete that can that can do a lot of different things. So I think that'll impact their draft class. But I kind of like the rest of it. Like you and, and like you, I like Derek Brown. I just think a little too high for a guy who we don't know if the pass rush will generate. I think Gross Matos has some JPP to him, that developmental guy who could really mold into a really good player. I think they could potentially have a handful of starters here. Brown Gross Matos can develop into a. Star- Starter. Chin could be a star in safety. I like Troy Pride in the value. I think he could be a top three corner on a depth chart. And if Kenny Robinson plays this past year for West Virginia, I think he could have been a day, you know, day two pick. And they got him in round five. And I like Bravion Roy as a rotational, you know, defensive tackle that can get some penetration. He looked really good. I think it was the shrine bowl. You know, a lot of positive reports down there. So I think he's an intriguing guy. So I'm right there with you on the Panthers in terms of what they did.
1: Uh next up is the the saints i think uh, so uh we, we got a very small class this time in the first round uh they traded up to take caesar ruiz the center from michigan the third round uh they got the that he was an edge at wisconsin he's going to be playing off ball i believe in, in in the nfl and zach bond uh later on in the third they got the tight end from dayton adam troutman didn't have a pick until the seventh round and then took uh, Tommy Stevens, a quarterback from Mississippi State, who's getting like the the Taysom Hill kind of kind of comps. So then that was the entire class. Uh, my my favorite pick of of the class would probably be uh it would probably be uh, uh, I, I would say Zach Bond. Um, Would, would probably be Zach Bond. Um, it's just because I, I thought he was a fringe first round kind of a guy and, and getting him at 74, um, he was just sort of falling, falling, falling and the saints were so low on draft equity at that point to get a player like that. I, I thought that that was sort of a slam dunk there. I I thought he was going to go a lot higher than that. Um, there must've been more medical concerns. Um, but obviously the saints felt, felt pretty good about that. Um, So, you know, we'll see how he translates to off ball in the NFL, but, um, you know, his his tape is pretty exciting. So, you know, and, and obviously the athleticism is there and everything like that. And he's a a pretty versatile kid. Um, best value pick in addition to bond, um, Adam trout, Adam Troutman, I I thought was a a tremendous value. You know, he, he was a guy that, that fell down the board a bit. I ranked him 68th overall. He went one Oh five, um, the tight ends in this class sort of filtered down the board a bit. Um, you know, in, in sort of a surprising way. I mean, like, you know, a guy like Hunter Bryant didn't even get drafted, and, you know, Harrison Bryant went in the fourth. And, um, I preferred Adam Troutman to Cole Komet, who went in the second round. Um, you know, and it was just another deal where, you know, the, the Saints were able to sort of pluck a value there. Um, in terms of a uh, questionable or, or concerning pick, um, I actually, I mean, you could say Tommy Stevens, um, but I, I, I don't really have an issue with that. So instead, I'll talk about the Cesar Ruiz pick. They traded some picks up um, to get him. So I, I suppose that you could say that, um, you know, that that was concerning, that they traded a bunch of their picks to get Ruiz. I ranked him 39th and they took him 24th. So I suppose that I should nitpick this. The, the reason that I maybe that I won't or that I at least that I'm maybe lukewarm on it as opposed to like not you know that I, i won't beg on it at least is because of what i was talking about before where this was a really poor interior class and after ruiz and maybe hunt and maybe hennessy it it really fell off the shelf in terms of sure things um you know after that again it was like you would have to take a chance on a medical risk like natani muti or you would have to go with guys who had um you know, a shelves on their athleticism, you know, guys like, uh, you know, John Simpson or like, you know, uh, uh, Bredesen or like guys like that. So I, Ruiz was the, sh- but you know, he was everyone's first interior lineman. And so he was, he was going to go in the mid twenties. And so the saints probably knew that they, they had to go up there and get him. So that for that reason, I I don't have the biggest, um, you know, thing to nitpick
0: about that. I gave the class a B plus. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, a, it was a unique draft because the way I see it as is I don't mind them being aggressive and only having limited amount of picks going to get the guys they wanted. And like you, I loved Adam Trapman. He was my number one tight end in the class. I had him ahead of Coke but when you look at it, the only guy who I think is going to potentially bring them value this year is Zach Bond. And, you know, that's where, that's where I question it a little bit. Unless there's a surprise offensive line move coming. I don't think, I think Ruiz is more for one year down the line when Larry Warford's, you know, contract expires. So I'm a little I'm in. If they're going all in for Drew Brees and that's what they've been doing, you know, I'm surprised they didn't maybe go wide receiver somewhere and get him another weapon in such a unique wide receiver class. You know, they I felt like, yeah, they went out and got Emmanuel Sanders in free agency, but to give him another weapon, maybe a guy who could do a lot after the catch, like, you know, Brandon Ayuk was still there at 24, you know, other guys, you know, could have done, you know, similar things. You know, that's the one thing that surprises me. I like Ruiz, the player, like you. I, I would have probably looked at him as more late first, early second, so maybe a tad early, but I really do like the player. I thought Zach Bond was going to be a late first, early second, so I really like that player. And then I really like Adam Trapman, but we see rookie tight ends don't usually develop very fast and especially ones that played at Dayton, I think expecting much from him, you know, until, you know, in year one is, is, is almost, you know, not going to happen. I think year two, year three. And at that point, you know, Saints are probably going to be, you know, no longer Drew Brees there you would expect. So I like the players that they got with those first three picks, but I do just kind of question like, you know, how it fits in terms of their win now mantra basically, and teams what they are going all in for.
1: Absolutely. Um, and and rounding out the uh, NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, first round um, traded up to take the Iowa tackle, Tristan Wirfs. Second round, Minnesota safety, Antoine Winfield Jr. Third round, Vanderbilt running back, Keyshawn Vaughn. Fifth round, Minnesota wide receiver, Tyler Johnson. Sixth round, Nebraska interior lineman, Khalil Davis. Seventh round, Temple linebacker, Chappelle Russell. And in the seventh round, Louisiana running back, Raymond Calais. Uh, my favorite pick of this class was Tristan Wirfs. Um, you know when we when we did all these mock draft iterations, you know, over the previous couple months before the draft happened, because you know we're in the time of the coronavirus and the pandemic, and you know, uh, you know, be, you know, being locked up and like all this this kind of stuff, quarantine whatnot. Like everyone is doing a million different mock drafts we all knew there was the big four at tackles and we all knew that Tampa Bay desperately needed and wanted a tackle. And there was, you know, it it was hard to envision a scenario where one of those four was going to get to Tampa Bay. Usually when you did a mock draft, they, it wasn't getting there, you know, because you knew that Cleveland was going to take one. You knew that New York, that both New York's were going to take one. So all that required is that, one other team above them took a tackle and they were crap out of luck as we say. Um and so basically every scenario th- that that's what it was. Well on draft night all of a sudden, you know, this other stuff starts to happen and and it's okay. Well now now worse is is falling down the board and Tampa was able then to secure him um you know they they traded up one spot which I was fine with just to guarantee that they got him. And, you know, for me, worse was the the top tackle on, you know, on on the board. Now, that was was close. I I had him just slightly over Andrew Thomas, and I went back and forth, back and forth on that all spring. Um, But he tested as one of the most athletic uh, offensive linemen to ever enter the league. Um, And so for him to be available there, um, you know, he's a kid who can come in and start right away, you know, and and help protect Tom Brady. So I I just thought that that was – an absolute bonanza, um, at your primary need spot, because the other way, if they had not been able to get one of those big four tackles, you're kind of in, you know, that then, then you're in a weird spot. I, I suppose in hindsight, you, you, you could have just taken CD lamb, you know, or, or Judy, I, I suppose that, that would have been the way that you would have gone and just tried to build a super wide receiver core. Um, but then you have this problematic line protecting a 42 year old. So anyway, I just thought that that was tremendous. Um, best value pick for me, Antoine Winfield Jr. was a slam dunk in the second round item as safety one. I, I just love his game. Um, he, he's a guy who it just has a super processor in his brain. Um, he, he, Winfield talked about how his dad, obviously Antoine Winfield Sr., how every night before bed he would watch game film on his laptop. And Winfield Jr. said that was something that he picked up, that, that he would watch game film you know, every night before bed. Winfield Jr., when he came out of high school, he was not a highly recruited player. Um, he did not have a ton of scholarship offers. He was just like, you know, a three-star recruit and he got overlooked. You know, he's a, he's a shorter guy, just like his dad. He's five, nine, um, two oh three at this point, but he was under 200 at the time. And so he got overlooked and Minnesota ended up tossing him uh, a scholarship offer and he ended up going there. Um, and he started out slowly, but ended up roaring, you know, out of, you know, at, at the end there. Um, and he ended up winning games by himself by being in places that he had no business being in to make interceptions that flip games, save games. Um, I, I watched a lot of, of golfer games live because I, I, I live in the city and the things he would do would just make your, your jaw drop. Like I said, saving games or flipping games. Um, and you know, he, he sort of had this thing where you didn't give him credit for his athleticism because he would would get such quick jumps or like I say, be in spots that he shouldn't be in because, you know, he's so smart. And so he he didn't get credit for his athleticism, but then he went to Indianapolis and he tested as an 81st percentile athlete. And so I I think for for me at least and for a few others, that really stamped him as a first round prospect. I ranked him 29th in the class. He ended up going forty fifth. For for me that was a slam dunk. Um I, and then another, I, I thought, really solid um, value was his teammate, Tyler Johnson. Um, I had him as the 116th prospect. He went 161st. I understand the nitpicks about Johnson's game. Um, he's not the most athletic dude, for sure. Um, he's not going to be able to play on the outside, um, definitely. But um, he's a good slot receiver. He's going to be a good slot receiver. He's been, you know, he was one of the nation's best slot receivers going back you know, the past couple years, um, by any metric, the advanced numbers, you know, the charting, uh, the film, the just regular counting numbers, uh, anything, um, ball skills are, are really, really, really good. I um, mean, he's really good in traffic and everything like that. We, the athleticism is, is what's going to limit him, but, um, he's got a stout frame, um, you know, and, and everything like that. Uh, and we know that Tom Brady, uh, deploys slot receivers, um, you know, as, better than almost anyone in the history of the NFL. So it, it, it's a really good fit for uh, Tyler Johnson. Um, if he can carve out any playing time early on um, questionable picks for me, um, I didn't think there was a lot. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Keyshawn Vaughn. So I, I think that would be uh, one for me. If I was going to take a, a third round running back, I would have looked in a different direction. Um, that's just one for me. I just I see I see Keyshawn Vaughn as like a shorter Wayne Gallman. Um, you know he's he's just like the the one cut zone kind of guy. Um, I I get it, but I just see him as limited. I I don't think you're going to get a lot out of him in the passing game. So I I just think this day and age I I would have looked a different direction as as far as that goes. But overall, I love this class. Um, it was one of two A pluses I gave out in the entire NFL. Um, particularly because of those two slam dunks early, I, I just—I mean—well done, Tampa Bay.
0: Yeah, I mean, you basically said everything that I would have said about the Bucks. You know, Tristan Wirfs was my top tackle in this class. If the Giants took him at four, it wouldn't have been something that left me scratching my head. I would have understood it. I loved Antoine Winfield. He was my second favorite corner. I mean, my second favorite safety in the class. But I basically had him and McKinney at the same spot. And if McKinney wasn't on the board at the top of the second round, and the Giants took Winfield there, I would have loved the pick. I think he's got better, even better, ball skills and cover skills uh, than McKinney. Just a little bit different type of player. And obviously the size a little bit different there, but love that player. I'm right there with you on Keyshawn Vaughn. The fantasy Twitter seems to be really high on him. And I think there's going to be big disappointments uh, with them expecting him to be this really impactful player. And somewhere since draft weekend and now the narrative has became that he's a very good pass catching running back. I don't know where that came from. Like, I no. think he is a serviceable guy who can catch, you know, screens and dump offs and short stuff. And if you look at his college statistics, like it was like 8, 12, 20, 18 this year. I think he bumped up to 28, but it wasn't impactful 28 catches. It was like just short dump off stuff. I don't think he is all that different in terms of his running capabilities than Ronald Jones. I think Ronald Jones has more upside in terms of big playability. So I think he's a, a mediocre talent who I think the Bucks will be very much in the market next year. Brady is going to play a second year there to get another running back early in the draft next year or in free agency. So – Of the guys that were there, I don't know if there was a lot of other guys I would have taken at running back. I probably would have just went in a different direction and maybe just took my chances on whatever running back was left a little bit later down in the draft because I didn't see much difference between Keyshawn Vaughn and them. But overall, I thought it was a good draft. The Tyler Johnson pick, tremendous value. There was always a disconnect between draft Twitter and the NFL, but in the fifth round and, you know, Getting his skill set there, I think it's a home run. So overall, right there with you uh, in terms of the Bucks having a really strong draft class for sure. So let me take this to the AFC West and just keep this going. I'm going to start off with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, in round one, they selected Isaiah Simmons, linebacker, safety, nickel, whatever you want to make them out of Clemson. Round three, they selected Josh Jones, uh, tackle out of Houston. If you're wondering why I don't have a second round pick, that's because they stole it in the trade for DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, round four, they took Lake K. Foto, defensive tackle out of Utah. Round four, they also selected Rashard Lawrence, defensive tackle out of LSU. Round six, Evan Weaver, to linebacker out of Cal. And then round seven, Eno Benjamin, running back, out of Arizona state favorite pick going to stay chalk Isaiah Simmons if he would have went as high as 3 or 4 I don't think it would have been off so the fact that they sat there and got him to fall into their laps at 8 I think was a a home run. Like we said, every draft class has some good tackles, some good defensive tackles. Not every draft class has somebody like Isaiah Simmons. So to me, that, you know, is, is you don't pass up on that opportunity to add that to your defense in terms of value picks. Very easy for me. Two guys stand out as tremendous values. One is Josh Jones, a tackle out of Houston. If he would have went late round one or early round two. I wouldn't have been all that surprised. I think they potentially got themselves a starting tackle, you know, with the pick 72 overall and they needed one on the other side of DJ Humphreys. So most people thought at eight, they were going to take a tackle. And if they did, you know, that would have been a good pick also because they did need that. But the fact that they got a guy in Jones in round three and on top of Isaiah Simmons to me is a home run also. While I didn't like him as, as much as some, I thought, you know, Benjamin in round seven was a steal. If he would have went in round four is, is where I thought he maybe should come off the board. So to get him in round seven, I think he could push Chase Edmonds sooner rather than later to be the backup to Kenyon Drake. So I like that pick a lot. The questionable, I didn't really question too much. Got to be honest with you. I would probably say, you know, back to back defensive tackles. I don't think they, you know, I think both of them are better against the run and not guys who are going to be, you know, on the field much in passing downs. So FOTU followed by Lawrence, I think was a little bit, you know, a little bit questionable for me. I think after they took one of them, they maybe could have pivoted to a different position, uh, maybe getting some more O-line help, you know, a developmental guy or, you know, somebody else of a different position. So that was something that I questioned a little bit. Thor, thoughts on what the Cards did?
1: Well said. Yeah, I, I I don't have much to add. I I I like the Jones pick. I love the Simmons pick. Um, Benjamin was a, a really nice value in the seventh round. I I thought you nailed it.
0: Yeah, and if we take this then right to the Los Angeles Rams. As much as I like the Cardinals draft, I question as much on the other side of what the Rams did. So in, in round two, they selected Cam Akers, running back out of Florida State. Also in round two, they selected Van Jefferson, the wide receiver out of Florida. Round three, they selected Terrell Lewis, the edge out of Alabama. Also in round three, Terrell Burgess, the safety out of Utah. Round four, Bryson Hopkins, the tight end out of Purdue. Round six, Jordan Fuller to safety out of Ohio State. Round seven, Clay Johnston, the linebacker out of Baylor. Also in round seven, Sam Sloman, the kicker out of Miami of Ohio. And then to round it out in the seventh round, Tremaine Ancrum guard out of Clemson. So, My favorite pick is 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 interesting because it's also probably the one that I would question the most. The favorite pick is Cam Akers because I I genuinely believe in the player and I'm a fan of Cam Akers. And, you know, while he was struggling at times at Florida State because of his surrounding cast, I still was very high on Cam Akers. So I love the player a lot. I just question the pick because they had just invested, you know, In Darrell Henderson last year, they seem to not be all that high on him, but the the Rams more than anybody have seen what good offensive line play and poor offensive line play can do for their running game. I mean, once upon a time, there was a lot of questions about Todd Gurley, and it was mostly because he couldn't do anything behind their poor offensive line. Then they immediately upgraded the offensive line, got a new scheme in there. And all of a sudden Todd Gurley was a superstar. And then we've seen now the offensive line go back to being poor. So I just, I question as much as I like the player and is my favorite player that they took. I question it because I feel like they, they really needed the upgrade at uh, offensive line. And they had just invested a pick, you know, last year in Durrell Henderson, my favorite value pick. Terrell Burgess, I thought he, you know, offers a lot of versatility to that secondary. If he would have went late round 2 or early to mid part of round 3, I would have been okay with Burgess. So he's my favorite value pick. I already talked about Acres as my questionable pick. But that's not the only one. I, I questioned the Terrell Lewis. Not that I questioned the talent of a player, but to reach on a guy with a lot of medical concerns that, you know, some people people like Lance Zerline and other people thought he could be pushed all the way down to round five or round six because of how serious the medical concerns were. I thought that was a little questionable. I think Van Jefferson is a nice player. I thought he was more late round three, round four. So for him to go in round two. I thought that was questionable, especially since I think he's best in the slot, and that's where you know uh, drawing a blank on uh, their wide receivers. I think you know Robert Woods is best in the slot, but then I also think Cooper Cup, sorry, Cooper Cup, is best in the slot. So I do question the Van Jefferson pick in terms of where they took him and schematically whether or not it makes sense. And then also Bryson Hopkins, I like the player, and I don't mind the value in the fourth round, but. They still have Gerald Everett. They still have Tyler Higby. Maybe they're thinking about a replacement for Gerald Everett after this year. But again, I think that I would have taken more shots on the offensive line and rather than some of these other positions along the way. Thor, thoughts on the Rams? Yeah,
1: um, it, it's funny you say that. I, I watched the draft with my friend and colleague, Mark Lindquist, who is a, a Los Angeles Rams fan. We we watched the draft every year together. He, he drove from... Washington state to Minneapolis to watch it with me. And he kept saying the same thing that you were saying over and over again, as, as a draft was happening, why aren't we taking offensive line? Why are not we taking offensive line? Especially with that Jefferson pick. He's like, what are they doing? You know? And then, it, you know, as it kept going, why aren't they taking offensive line? You know, and he just kept getting more annoyed and more annoyed and more annoyed. Um, and then the Vikings were slaying the draft. And so I was just giddy and he, he just kept grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on this one. I I I hated the Jefferson pick. I, I thought I I didn't I, I don't understand what they were doing with with that one. Um, it's such a stacked receiver class. Uh, Jefferson he he seems like he's going to be a, a a decent NFL receiver, but I don't know where the upside is there. Um, you know, p- taking him at 57, um, and the Rams have so many needs. Uh, you know, again particularly on the offensive line. Uh, you know, this class that, you know, we were talking about it before it, it sort of fell off the shelf there in terms of interior. And maybe that's why, you know, and, and the tackle class, I mean, like, you know, you, you had guys like Pert and a couple other guys that, you know, stayed out there till, till the third or so, but maybe that's why the Rams, you know, they, they didn't end up taking shots on guys like that. Cause they didn't take them early, but I, I understand falling in love with a guy like acres, but I, I don't understand with, with a guy like Jefferson because, you know, they could have taken a guy like, I don't know, K.J. Hill in the seventh round. I, I don't see an enormous qualitative difference between the two. Um, you know, I I don't know. Or J- James Prochet, someone like that. I, I, I don't know. I, I just sort of scratched my head as, as far as that one goes. It's, it was such a stacked receiver class. I, I don't know why you use that kind of a premium pick on, on Van Jefferson. You would – he's got to be a real, real NFL standout to use that kind of a pick in this class on him. And
0: I, I, I just didn't see it. So yeah, I, I didn't like the class at all. and, and schematically he doesn't really like you would have thought they, whether it was that pick or few down the line, taking a wide receiver to have a little bit more vertical, you know, capabilities to replace them, trading and moving on from Brandon Cooks. I mean, unless they're re- legitimately not thinking about their cap issue and, and thinking that they might not be able to sign Cooper Cup if he and and then Van Jefferson's going to replace that. I mean, that that's the only. And thing Dendro, Mims,
1: Dendro Mims was on the board, by the way.
0: Yeah. I mean, there it is. That, I mean, that's, you know, that could have been exactly what we're talking about. That would, the upside significantly more can win vertically down the field. Like that would have, to me, if that's the pick, I still would have said offensive line, but at least there, I would have understood the Denzel Mims pick, the value, the schematic fit, what he brings to the table to complement the other receivers, you know, so a lot of question marks there by the Rams. So let's take this to the San Francisco 49ers. First round, they make a, a trade by just going back one spot. I like the trade; they got a lot of value uh, by just moving back one spot. They need to pick up some picks, but I'll talk about what they did momentarily with those. Uh, they selected Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle out of South Carolina. Then they took those extra picks that they had gotten by moving back one spot. They used them to move back up uh, to take Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver out of Arizona State. In round five, they took Colton McKivitz tackle out of West Virginia. Round six, Charlie Warner, tight. Tight end out of Georgia. And then round seven, uh, Jaywon Jennings, wide receiver out of Tennessee. I would say my favorite pick against staying chalk is Javon Kinlaw. I like keeping a strength a strength. I, I question the, the the trading of the Farce Buckner and then just replacing him with another defensive tackle, but I understand, you know, financially, you know, it, it, it behooves them to do that. I would have probably moved on from Armstead and kept Buckner, but that's a different conversation for a different day. But I do like Javon Kinlaw. I think he could add a lot of pass rush uh, from the defensive tackle position, and they got it and they traded back and accumulated some picks. Uh, so I like that in terms of their favorite pick. I'll just, I'll tie that in though to then the question we'll pick and then I'll hit on the value last. I do question though, after they accumulated some picks by making that one pick trade with the Bucks, they then used them to move up and get Brandon Ayuk, who I really like the player and schematically he is perfect with Kyle Shanahan. I just wonder if they had to be aggressive in moving up to get him or they could have stayed at 31 and not, and then still had those mid round picks that they had gotten from the Bucks to add some more, you know, darts basically to throw at the dartboard on day three and still got an Ayuk you know, that's the one thing I question about the you pick. I do like the player and I like the scheme fit a lot. And the word is that Kyle Shanahan, whether we want to believe him or not said that he was their number one wide receiver on the board ahead of all the other talented guys, a little questionable to try to believe that, but maybe for what they want to do, he is arguably the best after the catch in this class. Uh, so maybe it does work out. In terms of value picks, I like Jawan Jennings. I know I knew he was going to be drafted later, maybe go as a UDFA, but I still think if you ask him to do what he's good at, and I think he's a big slot, I think he can be good after the catch with his play strength and physicality and his toughness. So I like him, the fact that they got him there, you know, three picks into round seven. Thoughts on the Niners, Thor?
1: Uh, yeah, I I I love the Javon Kinlaw pick. I, I actually like Javon Kinlaw more than Derek Brown by a little bit. Um, I, I just think the upside is higher. Um, I'm not as big of a fan of, uh, Brandon Ayuk. I, I tend to find Brandon Ayuk a bit, uh, overrated. Um, I, you know, maybe he's a, he's a system fit there. Um, you know, like you mentioned, he, he is good after the catch. So, um, we'll, we'll see on that. But, you know, a lot of his, his production was sort of scheme for him and that's, we talked about Denzel Mims before none of Denzel Mims's production was scheme for him. He didn't have one, you know, a uh, uh, catch that came off of a screen pass last year. Um, but like IU, he, he's not good in, in contested situations and stuff like that. So his athleticism has to play for him, you know, on, on sort of short stuff. And then he, he sort of creates after the catch and stuff like that. So as long as you know what his limitations are, but the, uh, the 49ers didn't have a lot of, of, of um, you know, draft equity and stuff like that. So, Um, To spend it in that way, um, you know, that would have been the questionable thing for me. Um, I just thought it was sort of a whole hum kind of, you know, hit the ball down the fairway kind of a draft, even though I, I love the Kinlaw pick.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm right there with you. I think we see that. Obviously they did pick up, uh, using their fifth round pick and a future for Trent Williams. So that's a home run for them, uh, to replace Joe Staley, who retired. So, you know, if you think about that a little bit, that, you know, that does, uh, you know, make their overall draft class a little bit better in terms of, again, that upgrade there at the left tackle position. Let's round out the NFC West with the Seattle Seahawks in round one. They selected Jordan Brooks linebacker out of Texas Tech. Round two, they took uh, Darrell Taylor, edge out of Tennessee. Round three, Damian Lewis, guard out of LSU. Round four, Colby Parkinson, tight end out of Stanford. Also in round four, DJ Dallas, running back out of Miami. Round five, Alton Robinson, edge out of Syracuse. Round six, Freddie Swain, wide receiver out of Florida. And round seven, uh, Stefan Sullivan, tight end out of LSU. Overall, you know, wasn't a big fan of what the Seahawks did. They usually... You know, do, do some interesting things when it comes to their draft picks. Uh my favorite pick, if I'm gonna put one, is I do think Damian Lewis is a plug-and-play starter and they needed some upgrades on the offensive line. So I think he's probably my favorite pick. If I was gonna say value pick, I would probably say Alton Robinson in the fifth round. I think it's pretty good value. If he would have went, you know, early on day three in round four, I would have been okay with it. Uh I think he's got a skill set that could translate and, and he could develop a little bit. In terms of questionable picks, I'm gonna start right at the top. I like Jordan Brooks the player, but for a team that's always willing to move around the Board and usually, while we don't agree often with their picks, they you know it's hard to disagree with their their philosophy in terms of moving around as much as they do and picking up more draft equity. I'm surprised they didn't try to move out of the round one and. Or even move back a few spots in round one to, and get Jordan Brooks. I don't know if Jordan Brooks was a guy that a lot of teams had rated that high. You had heard some buzz that he could go in round one. I don't know if that was exclusively people connected to the Seahawks, you know, had somehow, you know, that had gotten out. But so I, I thought that was a little bit questionable in terms of round one, a guy who's while he's very good, you know, good tackler, you know, good, you know, snuffing out like a screen pass. He's not a guy who's going to play much in coverage in terms of like covering the good running backs that are running routes or tight ends. So I think that was a little bit questionable for me, Uh, you know, and then also Colby Parkinson, you know, he's got some upside to him, but I mean, they have a lot of tight ends on that depth chart. You know, I think they could have went somewhere else with their round four pick there. That might have been a better chance to develop, you know, into a starter down the line. You know, they took Stefan Sullivan around seven. So they, they, two pass catching tight end types who really can't do any blocking. You know, I felt like the Parkinson pick could have won a different direction and been utilized, you know, a little bit better, uh, at a different position of need. Thoughts store on the Seahawks.
1: Well, I thought it was a another terrible draft by the <laughs> by our, our friends in the the northeast or the northwest, um, and, and the, the Jordan Brooks pick. I mean, it's it's almost like we we get these every year from the Seahawks. It was just another. Um, I, it was I, I was getting ready for it. You know, when when Goodell gets ready to announce the Seahawks pick, it's like, okay, what. What what awful curveball are we going to get from the Seahawks this year? Um, you know, and then he announced Jordan Brooks, and it's 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 shocking on the one hand, but it's not at all on the other hand. Um, you know, the the prospect is, you know, it's like oh my gosh, Jordan Brooks, the first round pick, but then you know the fact that the Seahawks are the one, you know, just sort of randomly plucking a name out of a hat is it's it's not at all. Um, it's like you said i mean you know jordan brooks he's you know he's a he's a sideline to sideline kid you know he's a big hitter you know he's he's very good against the run uh good on him but you know texas tech has a people got to understand like texas tech's defense is very linebacker friendly in the same way that texas tech's offense used to be very quarterback friendly what jordan brooks is very good at again it's going sideline to sideline and you know hitting folks you know as you know in in the run game and and their defensive line would occupy blockers for him so that's that's great um what jordan brooks is not good at as paul was alluding to before is covering folks he is not good in coverage uh he's very very poor in coverage you can see this on film you can see this in in his advanced metrics and his charting so how does that translate to the nfl the past happy nfl well it, it not well, uh, you know, so it, that's where, you know, my ranking, I ranked him 118th. I, for me, I, I, I do, I would not use premium picks on linebackers that can't cover. Well, I ranked Troy Dye ahead of him because Troy Dye can cover folks and Jordan Brooks can't. And the other thing with, with Jordan Brooks is you have the health issues, you know? So I, I don't know. I, I really scratch my head with it. You have a major durability qu- questions there. You have a guy who is a major question mark in coverage guys who are, you know, big hitters that are, are good at, you know, against the run or whatever. It just seems like he's more of a, a dinosaur type, you know, that I, uh, you know, that uh, like a, a decade or two ago that he would have been a first round pick. It, it seemed like more of a throwback to a different, different era kind of a pick and, and the Seahawks were just like, ah, screw it. You know, we know it's 2020 and we're in a, we're in a pandemic and this is a virtual draft, but you know, let's, let's throw it back to
0: 1995. Yeah. It, I mean, it's baffling. You do really wonder the folks have been, have had a lot of team success. You wonder how much the Wilson has, has salvaged, you know, that team. And if they had done a they, they seem to move around and, and, Very often make a lot of poor selections that Russell Wilson ends up covering up for, kind of like Peyton Manning used to cover up a lot of mistakes by the Colts, you know, in his heyday too that you know, you still see them. They're still a winning team. They still eke out somewhere between nine and 11 wins. They're in the playoffs a lot, but a lot of times their draft picks do not produce, you know, Rashard Penny, you know, last year to at a TCU, LJ Collier, like right. these guys, they're just reaching for, and these first picks or two, they, you know, listen, they got DK Metcalf last year. That was a home run for them, you know, but there's, there just seems to be sometimes they're trying to smart teams in round one, and I think you know if they maybe just take some good safe picks, their, their roster would have a lot less holes on it and have a, a lot more stability uh, at positions of need. So there we go, a- NFC West in the book. Let's uh, let's close it up uh, with the NFC uh, North door. So kick it off.
1: Yeah, so we start with the Chicago Bears. Uh, second round, uh, took the Notre Dame tight end Cole Kmet. Uh, later on that round, Utah cornerback Jalen Johnson didn't have a pick again until the fifth round, where they got Tulsa edge rusher Travis Gibson. Uh, later on that round, uh, Georgia Southern uh, cornerback Kendall Vildor. Uh, later on that round, Tulane wide receiver Darnell Mooney. Then in the seventh, I think he, I think he went to Colorado. Arlington yep. Hambright, the tackle, and then where did Lechavius go? Was some Tennessee FCS state, score. Tennessee, Tennessee State.
0: state.
1: The uh, interior lineman. Um, my favorite pick of this class was Jalen Johnson. I I thought Jalen Johnson was a top twenty five prospect. Um, now Jalen Johnson has shoulder issues, so I I think that's why he fell down. Without those shoulder issues, I think he would have been the top. You know, he would have been, been taken in the top twenty five. I think he probably would have been taken in the top twenty. You know that you know cause maybe him to filter down a little bit some of these guys with medical concerns i think because of the the just the the process specific process that they were in not being able to get into some of these teams buildings not being able to get in front of some of these team doctors um because of the coronavirus thing i think that hurt some guys and and jalen was one of those guys i heard um from uh a source that that the shoulders fine, that, that it's going to be fine going forward, that it was cleaned up and it's, it's going to be okay. Um, so, you know, if, if that's true, I, I think that Chicago got a steal there. Um, you know, and Jalen, he tested really well at the combine, everything like that. So it, it you know, that, 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 seems to be a very good value pick, uh, or, it, you know, everything like that. S- some other good values. Um, I thought Travis Gibson in the fifth round, you know, especially for Chicago, They had this this wide gap, you know, where they had that that extra second rounder, but then they didn't have another pick there until the fifth. So so you you pick at 43, you pick at 50, then you don't pick again for one hundred and five picks until one hundred and fifty five. I thought they did well to get Travis Gibson there. Um, He was a guy that I thought should have been picked maybe a little bit before then. But he's a really projectable edge, um, you know, who put up big stats at Tulsa. Um, I I think they might have found something there. you you know again you know in the fifth round when you're taking a flyer there um and and Gibson was a guy that wasn't able to test in in Indy um if he had been able to I think he might have tested okay and he might have gone higher than that so I I thought they got really good value there um as far as questionable picks the biggest one for me is Cole Komet um I for a couple different reasons number one I think Cole Komet's overrated um you know, watching Cole Komet's tape, um, I, I think he's overrated for a couple different reasons. First, in both metrics of his game, um, you know, as, as a receiver, um, I didn't see it from him as far as, like, the big play stuff. Like, when you watch his Notre Dame tape, you'll see a lot. They'll he, You can line him up different ways. You know, he is a big athletic kid, you know, so, like, getting off the bus or whatever, you know or walking out to shake your hand, you, you see it or whatever. But, and so you can line them up all wide and you can line them up, you know, of course in line and they lined them up all wide quite a bit, but a lot of his receiving production, they, they'd sort of fling it to him right away when he was out wide, but he he's awkward when he gets the ball. Like, you know, he would catch it and then he would just immediately get tackled usually. And so he, he piled up a lot of the catches that he had, just sort of catching these like, bubble screens or whatever you know these funnel screens and then he 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 would get tackled right away out wide um you know down the seam he didn't make a ton of plays for for Notre Dame um he, he can get down the seam but it's not like he was doing a ton of damage um he does move well he he is a fluid mover but um he you know in contested situations stuff like that he didn't the the tape doesn't show like a ton there and then as far as a blocker he doesn't do it all he does is bump chest he's a big kid but all he does is bump chest like i was looking for it he doesn't do it so that's what you got i mean it's like uh it's he's an inline guy sure but he doesn't really i don't know and 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 so so that's what you have as far as the the player and then in this class you know in chicago didn't know this at the time but this the nfl just sort of panned this tight end class and so all the tight ends got pushed way down the board you know troutman was available in the third harrison bryant who is my personal tight end one he was available in the fourth i mean hunter bryant who was some other people's tight end one he was my fifth one I think but he went undrafted Devin Asiasi who is my third fourth one he was available in the third um, you know some of these other guys they were available later on um, I don't think that you had to take Cole Komet here even if you you did fall in love with him especially a team like Chicago that was already sort of penny short on draft equity so I, I quibble with that pick for several different reasons um, overall I, I liked a few of their picks, hated the comet pick. So I, I, I was just sort of mad on, on the class. I gave it a C.
0: Yeah, I think that's about what I would think about it as well. I very much would you think, uh, Komet was a reach there. I thought I had said, even as much as I liked Adam Trapman's game, that I didn't think any tight end should be taken in this draft class until, uh, round three and only a handful in round three. And then everybody else should have been day three picks. So I'm right there with you. I like the Jalen Johnson pick. Agree. He should have been around one guy. And I do like the Travis Gibson pick. If he would have went early round four, I would have, I would have said that's still a good value there. So the fact that they got him early round five and I do. Think Darnell Mooney adds a little bit of uh, dynamic playmaking, vertical ability, uh with his speed there. But all in all, you know, the comet pick really hurts uh and brings this down. And I'm not really sure that the guys at the back end, you know, have much upside in terms of maybe making the roster. They're probably you know ticketed for the the practice squad early on uh there. So that's my that's my takes with Chicago. So jump right in, next team.
1: The Detroit Lions, uh with the third overall pick, Ohio State cornerback Jeffrey Okuda. The top of the second round, they got uh Georgia running back DeAndre Swift, third round, Notre Dame edge rusher Julian Aquara. Later on that round, Ohio State Guard Jonah Jackson. Fourth round, Kentucky guard Logan Stenberg, fifth round, Wisconsin wide re- excuse me, wide receiver Quint Quintes Cifas. Fifth round, they went back to the running back well, although I think this kid was was just brought in to be a, a kick returner. Uh New Mexico State running back uh Jason Huntley. Sixth round, Utah interior defensive lineman, John Pennicini. And then in the seventh round, Ohio State interior defensive line, Dreshawn Cornell. Uh, My favorite pick of this class was probably... Spoiler alert, I did not love this class. Uh, My my favorite one, I I guess, was probably Okuda. Um, You know... Yeah, but I, I didn't i didn't even love that one to be honest with you um actually i'm gonna I'm, <laughs> i i'm gonna switch it uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna say julian aquara that, that that was my favorite pick i am a big fan of julian aquara's game um he was a guy who had a pressure in every single collegiate game he ever played in um it, he was very active at at Notre dame. Um, and not only that, he's super duper athletic. Um, he was on uh, Bruce Feldman's uh, freak list. He's 6'4", uh, 252. He has NFL bloodlines. Um, you know, obviously his his brother is in the NFL, and and we all got to see that beautiful moment when uh, when Julian got drafted by the Lions. You know, when they showed him in the the remote or whatever. You know, on the on the camera or whatever. Um, Julian did not get to test at the combine. Um, But I think he would have tested as a freak if he had. And I think that might have bumped him up a bit. Um, He's got some technical things to work on. Aquara does. Uh, I think if he refines that, though, he has got a really, really high ceiling. Um, You know, he was able to get by with with sort of some wild man technique just because he's so athletic and he's long, you know, and everything like that. Um, Like I said, pressure in every game he ever played in. Um, but if, if he can refine some of that stuff, some some of the, the technical stuff, I, I think you're talking about a really, really high ceiling edge rusher. So I, I love that pick at, at 67, um, in terms of best value, um, I, I didn't think that they got value, uh, very much at, at very many picks, but, um, I, I think Okuda, you know, you can't quibble with that value at three, certainly. I mean, he's a tremendous, uh, cover corner, um, So, I mean, you know, say I, I might have tried to entice Miami to trade up to, you know, and, you know, to to three and then, and then try to get him at five. But if, if, if he couldn't do that, you know, taking him at three, that was fine. Um, one other pick, uh, uh, Cephas, I, I thought, you know, in the fifth round, I thought that was a fine value. Um, you know, he's a guy who's got really good tracking ability downfield, stuff like that. So. Um, I thought that was a solid one too. As far as uh, questionable picks, okay, I got more to say here. Um, DeAndre Swift, I thought was a really poor pick. Um, I, I know some people disagree with me, but that that one really, I, I I didn't get it. It's like Detroit, you you have holes all over the place. You know, Paul, going back to what you were saying about Washington with Antonio Gibson. Um, I, I know this is slightly different, but it's like Lions, you, you have these enormous holes all over the place and. You're really going to take a running back at, at, at 35 after you took a running back in the second round just a couple years ago? I mean, can't you patch your running back hole even though it's not a big one? Can, can't you can't you find an ancillary running back on the open market or later on? And then they, they end up taking a running back in the fifth round as well using another pick on a running back. I, I just found it very bizarre. It, at the 35th pick, there were so many studs available at so many different positions and to, to go there, I, I just thought it was the strangest thing. Um, you know, and Deandre Swift, he, you know, he's, he's a good prospect. Um, but you know, I, I don't know, to me, he's not like a superstar kind of, you know, I mean, I, I ranked him as a 54th overall, you know, prospect in the class. I, I, think that there's some limitations there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I thought that that was a very weird pick. Um, and and then you know just going down the board uh and Jackson uh, he's a guy who's who's got like this uh, he he was good in college you know he's, you know but he's got this really weird body um he's got a really weird build um you know and he's he's 6'3 306 he he might have a weird um uh, you know, his, his transition to the NFL and so using the 75th pick on him, that might be a little bit rich. It was certainly rich for my blood. Um, Stenberg has some some athletic limitations and he's kind of a hothead. Jason Huntley, I didn't think he was going to get drafted They They'd already taken a running back. I, I just thought there was a lot of questionable picks in this draft for a team that needed to have a big time draft. I just thought it was a really poor draft. I gave it a D.
0: Yeah. I mean, some of the things that you, you hit on while I liked it a little bit more than you did. I think the big question is the Deandre Swift. I like the player. He was my favorite running back in, in this draft class, but the value of the pick there at 35, when a it's running back and two, you just drafted carry on Johnson two years ago and three, all the holes you have on your roster, make it clearly for me, the most questionable pick they did, uh, I like Okuda a lot. So, so between him and Aquara, that carries the draft a little bit. And I do like Quintus Cephas a lot. Uh, I'm not as down on the, on the two guard picks. I did think Jonah Jackson was probably taken about a round too early. I would have been happier with him more in the fourth and then Sten- Stenberg maybe in the fifth. So like, I think they were a little bit of reaches, but I do think, you know, if one of those pans out to be a starting guard, I could understand it. The Jason Huntley pick makes no sense after you take DeAndre Swift pick. If there is no DeAndre Swift pick, I could understand Jason Huntley coming in as a little bit of that pass catching running back, kick returner, a little bit of an offensive weapon, and I can make sense of the pick. But he he's going to have no role in terms of the on offense with DeAndre Swift there. So now you're talking about a returner only with a, a fifth round pick when you could take an up, upside stash at somewhere else that maybe they develop into a starter. So that the two running backs, especially together are the things I question the most, but because I liked Okuda so much, because I liked Aquara and Cephas, and I didn't dislike the guards as much as 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 some, and even though I did think they were a little bit of a reach by a round, uh, I thought they were okay. So I would have given it a little bit higher grade, but I understand uh, the concerns and, and why dropping it down because the Swift pick really hurts their overall value significantly for me as much as I like that player. So keep this going. A couple more teams left here to round this out.
1: Yeah, uh, the next one, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, Next one's the Green Bay Packers. (laughs) In the the first round, uh, one of the most talked about and debated picks of the entire draft, uh, Utah State uh, quarterback Jordan Love. The second round, Boston College running back A.J. Dillon. Third round, Cincinnati, I guess we'll call him H-back, Josiah Degura. Fifth round, Minnesota linebacker Kamal Martin. Sixth round, Michigan interior lineman John Runyon. Uh, later on in that round, they took the Oregon interior lineman, Jake Hansen. later on in that round, Indiana interior linemen. They had fun with the interior lineman in the, in the, in the sixth round, uh, Simon, Simon Stepaniak. Then in the seventh round, Louisiana tech safety, or was it TCU Vernon Scott? It was a TCU. Yeah. TCU. And then in the seventh round, um, Miami edge rusher, Jonathan Garvin, uh,
0: Good so, luck here with favorite and value picks. I, I, yeah. I, I applaud you. If you come up with a couple of names here,
1: <laughs> this, this one's going to be tough. Um, so my, my, f- my favorite. Okay. I'm going to be nice. My, my favorite pick was, uh, the last one, uh, Jonathan Garvin. Um, I, Jonathan Garvin, I, I thought, you know, could have gone as high as like the fifth round. Um, there's some, certainly some projectable traits there. Um, and you know he 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 had some productive uh seasons at miami you know he's six uh two sixty three testing the sixty first percentile i ranked him as the hundred ninetieth player in the class he went he went two 240, forty-two. um he he never at miami he never equaled the sum of his parts you know it was it was one of those things um and you know. He he may never he probably will never but um at, at that point in the seventh round um it, that's what you're looking for you're looking for projectable guys uh you're, that's what you're throwing darts on you, you'd much rather have that than a guy who's got a you know a concrete ceiling on his you know on his on his development or whatever um so i i you know th- i thought that that was a solid pick uh okay now as far as value um okay now this is this is funny the only other pick that on my board that it equaled um the the slot that they took him in was actually the the pick that everyone else and i you know i I thought it was a bad pick too but jordan love i ranked him 26th overall and the packers took him 26th overall so let's talk about the jordan love pick um it was extremely puzzling, you know, just because of the team taking him, um, you know, obviously the Packers have, uh, you know, one of the NFL's best quarterbacks and they have that quarterback under contract for the next four years. And it, it, it seems like they blindsided Aaron Rodgers with this pick um, particularly uh, it's puzzling because they're so close to their, their championship window and this, this, this This draft class was historically stocked in receivers um you know in in the first round there you, you had all these studs available and, and instead of taking one of them they they trade up and and they take jordan love and then, as you go down in the draft um you know they 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 for for me and for basically everybody else you know there's this perception that they reached over and over and over and over again, but not once for a receiver and and this was one draft class where it was basically impossible to reach for a receiver because basically, if you took a receiver anywhere, you were going to get a value just because it was so stocked. You know, if if you took a receiver in in the fifth round this year, it was like it was like getting a, a third round receiver in any other year. You know what I mean? Just because of how stacked it was, the fact that they didn't take a a receiver in this specific draft class, I I, I just didn't get it. It was like they. They slapped Aaron Rodgers in the face like the hardest they could with the first round pick, and then it was like every other pick after that. They just kept slapping him in the face, slapping him in the face, slapping him in the face. It was the strangest thing. But anyway, that's what I'll say for their value pick. Okay, um, and then as far as the questionable picks, basically every pick in between. Um, and I like AJ Dillon. I I actually ranked him as running back seven. I I. I think he's going to be a starting NFL running back. Um, but I, you know, I ranked him 91st. They took him 62nd. I I thought that was a bit of a reach, um, you know, big kid, six uh, six foot, two forty seven. You know, tested in the ninety six percentile. Uh, I comped them to Brandon Jacobs. He's going to be fun. Going to be fun to watch him in Lambeau. But um, to use a second round pick there, I, I thought that was a bit early. But the rest of their picks were egregious reaches. Like you know, you know, th- third, fifth, and sixth round guys, and and these were guys that I thought were seventh rounders to undrafted guys, going from DeGora, Kamal Martin, John Runyon, Jake Hansen, Stepaniak, uh, Vernon Scott. It just for me, th- these are just sort of negligible um, type prospects. You know, like I said, seventh rounders or undrafted type guys. I I'm not really sure what they were doing there, and they did not address what I or many other people thought were their primary needs. Uh, I I just tossed up my hands with it. I gave it an F. Um, if you look at the uh, the consensus expert boards, you know, like the the GPAs or whatever. The Packers finished by far the lowest in the NFL. Um, They got by far. They finished 32nd. Uh, Just just a horrible draft. That it, it wasn't only bad in terms of like the reaches. They also didn't seem to address their primary need, and it was also just puzzling and weird.
0: Yeah, I, I think spot on everything you said. And we even value the, the, the top two picks similarly. I thought Jordan Love should be a first round quarterback. I just didn't love it being to the Packers, trading up, using other assets to move up and then taking him when you're a win now team, trying to get to back to the Super Bowl and Aaron Rodgers. I liked AJ Dillon. He was my RB six in this draft class. I thought he should go late round three, early round four. I believe that he ha- could have a role, but. For this team with Aaron Jones on the roster as the clear starter, a a serviceable backup and them not needing him. And then to take him at 62, head scratching. And then every other pick, you know, head scratching. I agree with you. You know, the one value I was and good pick. I thought was Jonathan Garvin down there at round seven, but very puzzling top to bottom, the philosophy, what they did, what players they took. I mean, and, and let's be honest, Jordan Love has to turn out to be a good, a very good starting quarterback in the future for this to work out well he can't even be an average starter or a starting quarterback he has to turn out to be a very good starting quarterback the pressure that's on him whenever that time comes because in the meantime if he's not that you wasted valuable time and resources that could have been built into Aaron Rodgers final couple years there to try to get back to the Super Bowl so it's it, it very head-scratching it's not like they had no holes and they said you know what? let's get this kid to them three years that I could have understood if that was the case, but that's not the case here with green Bay. So let's run that outdoor. One more team, the Minnesota Vikings, kick it off.
1: Yeah. My Minnesota Vikes. Um, so two first round picks. The first one, uh, at, at uh, took the LSU receiver, Justin Jefferson, Second one, uh, TCU cornerback Jeff Gladney. Second round, uh, Boise State tackle Ezra Cleveland. Third round, Mississippi State cornerback Cam Dantzler. Fourth round, uh, South Carolina edge rusher DJ Wanham. Fourth round, Baylor interior defensive lineman James Lynch. Uh, Later on that round, they got the Oregon linebacker Troy Dye. Fifth round, Temple cornerback Harrison Hand. Uh, Later on that round, Miami... Wide receiver K.J. Osborne. Sixth round, Oregon State tackle Blake Brandell. Later on that round, Michigan safety Josh Metellus. Seventh round, Michigan State edge rusher Kenny Willekes. And then they had three more picks that round. Uh, Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley. Then Brian Cole, was he Mississippi State? Yep, Mississippi State. Yeah, and then Kyle Hinton was... Where did Wake Forest? Washburn. Washburn. Oh, Washburn. Okay, the Washburn interior offensive lineman with the with the last one. Uh, my favorite pick of this class, I think, would be. There's a lot of them. I, I think <laughs> I think maybe maybe Cam Dansler. I Cam Dansler is a guy who fell down to the 89th pick I, I think mostly just because of his forty time at, at, at the combine um but he's a guy who um you know over the course of his career like you know it, both in terms of his tape his his charting numbers his quarterback rating against everything he's been one of the nation's best cornerbacks now for multiple years he was the basically the only cornerback last year who shut down Jamar Chase and, and like the, you know, there was this, you know, the the perception just started like after Dantzler ran that, you know, four, six, whatever it was at the combine, like, oh, you know, does Cam Dantzler have NFL athleticism? Well, I just tell people turn on the LSU tape. He gave Jamar Chase fits in that game, just absolute fits. And Jamar Chase is going to be a top five pick next year. Jamar Chase has NFL athleticism in spades. And he was being thrown passes by the number one pick in, in this draft. Well, Jamar Chase was singeing other folks. Uh, Jamar Chase singed uh I mean Trevon Diggs, for example, um uh AJ Terrell, for example. I mean, that was the big thing about you know, Terrell that everyone was talking about that you know, he got smoked by LSU in the title game. Well, that wasn't, you know, he still went sixteenth. Um, you know, but there's, you know, it's a big thing with the forty time. You know, it just sticks in people's heads, and so you know, and then it, it became farcical because then Cam Dantzler's camp, you know, was trying to turn the narrative around, and then they 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 did their their personal pro day, you know, and because <laughs> of the coronavirus thing, and he he was another guy that just kind of got screwed over by this whole thing because you know he they they you know Mississippi State and these other schools couldn't do their own pro days, so he. You know, Cam wasn't able to, to get you know a new 40 time. And so then he ran a new 40, and then they claimed he ran in the four threes, which is ludicrous. Um, but you know, I don't think he's a 4 6 guy. You know, I don't think he's a 4 4 guy. He's certainly not a, a 4 3 guy, but he's he's probably a four four five guy. Um, and he's he's what you would call a silo cornerback in the NFL, and he's gonna be just fine at that. Um, I, I think the Vikings probably found a, a starting outside cornerback in the third round um and you know getting gladney in in the first um and you got hughes um from a couple years ago the vikings may just have put together one of the, the nfl's best young starting cornerback trios um so anyway i i, I really that the dancer pick and dancers also a, a really good tackler he's he's good in run support and he's also really good on special teams so i I thought that that was kind of a steal. Um, the best value pick, I, I thought that, again, I, I thought they had a lot, but um, a, a couple of them, Ezra Cleveland at 58 was just a tremendous pick. Um, Ezra Cleveland, I, I had him at 28, so I saw him as a, as a first-round player. I understand maybe why he fell um, to 58 um, because, like, Ezra Cleveland, he's a zone tackle only. You know, like he, you know, ninety first uh, percentile athleticism, six six three eleven, and interestingly enough, I comped him to Brian O'Neill, who he's going to be a bookend with for the next decade. Um, but he's a guy who he struggles with power. You know, I mean, he the the movement skills are tremendous, everything like that, but he's he struggled with power. Boys, you're going to struggle with power at the next level. He. He had to he had to wind up with his own team and he wound up with one of the zoniest in 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 the in the Vikings. But non-zone teams were not going to take Ezra Cleveland. And so like the the only teams that were going to be sitting on him were uh zone blocking teams that needed a tackle. And so why does a player like that fall down the board? Well, because if you don't fit those two criteria you're not going to be sitting on Ezra Cleveland. And so just circumstantially, he just started to filter down. And I think the Vikings just got lucky there that a, a perfect uh, scheme fit at a position of need just sort of fell through the cracks all the way down to him at, at 58 and, and they get a, a just a steal of a deal there. Um, so I, I, I thought that was great. I also thought, um, their last two fourth rounders, I thought they got tremendous deals on uh, James Lynch, uh, the the Baylor defensive lineman uh, at one thirty, and then Troy Dye, the uh, Oregon linebacker at one thirty-two. I ranked those guys eighty and eighty-two respectively. Uh, so again, gr- great values. Uh, James Lynch he, he fell down because he's kind of a tweener he played edge for for Baylor and he's probably going to have to move uh into the interior in the NFL he's 6'4 289 testing the 48th percentile he's not long enough or athletic enough to play on the edge and then there's uh, uh you know like a a, a perception is he going to be strong enough you know on, on the inside he's going to have to add a bulk and stuff like that um So we'll see on that. And he didn't play as well on the, on the inside in his limited time doing that for Baylor, but they, you know, they had a wonky like three, three, five. So it was a small sample. I, I don't, I don't put a ton into that. I, his game should translate there as 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 long as he's able to put on that weight. Um, he he was a fabulously productive player for Baylor, so I I, I like to especially at one thirty at that point. The juice is just worth the squeeze there for a player who's as productive in that league as he was. And then Troy Dye, I talked about this before, you know, relative to Jordan Brooks. I prefer Troy Dye as a prospect to Jordan Brooks, who went in the first round, and the reason is because. Troy Dye is a fabulous coverage linebacker. Troy Dye is a converted safety. He started for four years in the Pac-12. He had he got all Pac-12 accommodation all four of those years. He has safety athleticism. Now the knock on him is that he he plays the position kind of like a safety. He's he's the anti Jordan Brooks. Jordan Brooks people love him because he's sideline to sideline, you know, run stopper guy. He he smokes people. You know, he pops off the film or whatever. Uh, Troy Dye, he's more of like a lasso tackler. So he's never, you're never going to like, be like, Oh my gosh, look at that hit by Troy Dye. He's not like that. But what he does is he locks people down in coverage. So, you know, he's got the tight end. He's got the running back. It's not the sexiest thing, but he just locks people down in coverage. Well, in the NFL, that's more valuable. So sorry, Seattle. Um, so, I mean, getting him at one thirty-two, I, I just thought that that was a tremendous deal. And heck, if, if if you don't want to play him on the early downs, on the running downs, fine. Uh, it's a specialized league, anyways. Who cares? Bring him in when they're throwing. I I don't mind. I mean, it's it's a division that has Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford. I mean, to have a, a fabulous coverage linebacker, who cares if he – And I, I I think some of that stuff is overblown. Uh, he he's a fine tackler, so. Anyway, he just doesn't smoke people. So I, you know, and then the first round picks were were really good values too. I mean Jefferson, everyone thought his, you know, floor was was the Eagles at at, at twenty. So to get him at twenty two, um, was an, a, a really nice value. And then Gladney, um, the Vikings were, I, I'm sure they would have stayed in their original spot and taken him, but instead they were able to trade down with the Saints, pick up all these extra picks, and get him at thirty one. So that was uh that was a coup as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Vikings really nailed this top to bottom, you know, if you want to make a small gripe, maybe, you know, with 15 picks, what, how is 15 players on a really good roster already going to make the team, maybe try to move some of those later picks and move up for a few other guys. But I mean, that's nitpicking. I mean, Jefferson, Gladney, Cleveland, Dantzler, I mean, all four of those are probably ticketed to be starters, you know, good role play, you know, Lynch and Die, whether they become starters or role players, you know they, they were probably looking for some speed. They got KJ Osborne. Maybe they could have won a different direction there. You know, Kenny Willickis. you know, good, good player in college. Some concerns about whether his athleticism or lack thereof, you know, will limit him at the next level. But in round seven, I mean, value up and down. Was there one thing, you know, more in the early picks and we talked about most of them. So my guess is probably not. Was there anything that you questioned in the early round before David just taking a lot of dart pros late? It,
1: it, I wasn't the biggest fan of, uh, DJ Wanham. You know, I like the, um, the, in Minnesota, they were saying like, uh, Zimmer said he's like Andre Patterson's pet project or whatever. So I, I think Minnesota kind of fell in love with him. Um, you know, he's 6'5, 258, tested in the 52nd percentile. Um, he plays hard. He, you know, he, he's athletic enough. Um, but it just never came together for him at South Carolina. And he's another one of those guys, you know, I talked about it with Garvin and Wanham's a, a bit better version of this, but he just never equals the sum of his parts. And so I suppose, you know, you can look at players like this two ways where, you know, and, and Minnesota obviously looked at it the opposite way that I looked at it, but y- you can look at it like, when you're watching him on film, like, Oh, so he's not put it together yet, but he's got all, you know, these tools. So, you know, we can bring him in and we can teach him, and, you know, and then he's going to really level up or you can just look at it. Like just doesn't really get it. And he doesn't really understand the game and the, the techniques just not there. And, you know, it, it's always just going to be this, this set of disparate parts that, that don't come together. And I, I just saw, I just see want him as more of like a rotational guy kind of off the bench, so that was one pick I questioned. I, I would have gone a different direction in terms of, I, I thought there was better edges on the board. Frankly, I think Willickis is a better player than he is. Um, and then another one, um, in the fifth round, I, you, you brought him up in, in KJ Osborne. Um, I thought KJ Osborne was more of an undrafted guy. Um, and I get it. They're, they're going for speed there. Um, but you know, th- there was other speed guys there. Um, I don't, I f- I forget if Darnell Mooney was on the board at that yeah, time. Yeah, just I-
0: gotten off the board. So I wonder if he was the guy they were targeting. And then they kind of just dropped down to the next guy they thought was more of that speed threat. But I'm right there with you. I think they could have pivoted there. But I mean, it, it's, it's small nitpicking. They probably would all those picks looked at want him as a guy that they wanted to have the ability to try to develop him and not really have a role for him early on. And we'll see about Osborne. But I mean, great job over all in all by the Vikings. And and the marathon, the marathon is that it is our recap shows. So, again, a pleasure every single year to do this. I I enjoy it so much. It's a to hear another perspective. You know, is always great on these draft classes and the talk through and and hear your takes is something I look forward to every year. So once again, thank you for coming on the show. Please let the audience know where they can follow you. If there's anything you want to, you know, uh, promote a little bit over there at Roto World that you guys are working on, feel free.
1: Yeah, and Paul, same pleasure as always, man. Pleasure as always. I hope you'll have me back next year as well for our, our annual recap. Yeah, um, yeah. You guys can find me on Twitter at Thorku. That's T H O R K U, um, and at Roto World. the The most recent thing I put out was uh, my UDFA player rankings which is a a bit of a passion project of mine it's we we go really far into the weeds with that and then next early next week i'll be coming out with my udfa uh, class grades which i i just i just did the i just ran the numbers and 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 slotted the teams. so those are done i'm going to be working on the the write-ups this weekend so um, it's just another fun column. So I'm, I'm excited to put that out. So you can check that out. I, I think it'll be coming out on either Monday or Tuesday. So check the Road to World NFL draft
0: section for that. Absolutely, guys. If you're a fan of the NFL draft, I mean, think about all the guys we covered tonight. And we didn't, besides me mentioning Javon Leak at the top of his podcast, we didn't even talk about UDFA prospects. So make sure you get over to Aurora World, check out all the great work. It is something that is not really dug deep. There's so much great draft coverage and, and recaps on who was taken. But there's a lot of players that come from, from the UDFA ranks. And Thor does as good of a job, if not better than anybody, in terms of breaking it down uh, in an area where I think it's a little bit undercover for just how much the draft is covered as a whole. The UDFA section, not really an area where you see a lot of coverage. So make sure you get over there and check that out. Uh, so on behalf of Thor, on behalf of myself, and our Sound and Tech engineer, David Nakano, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.